It's good to see you all tonight, and I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to worship God together once again. You know, I think that we can take comfort in the fact that when we study the various characters that we read about in Scripture, we find that they are, or were, I should say, humans, just like the rest of us, meaning that they had some of the same struggles and some of the same fears and some of the same issues of life that we find ourselves dealing with regularly as we navigate uh, through this world. I think particularly, I'm thinking particularly tonight about even the apostles of Jesus. And though, of course, they did some wonderful things for the cause of Christ, we still see some of their struggles, some of their weaknesses, and even some of their questions The Apostle Peter, for example, probably comes to mind immediately. Here is a man who struggled with not knowing how to properly think before he spoke. Here is a man who struggled with his faith, and yet we see within him, by the end of his life, someone who has grown tremendously, spiritually speaking. We see the Apostles like... uh, uh, James and John struggling with pride. We see a number of different things that were going on in their lives as they were struggling to grow, but you know, we even see questions like this one How do we pray? I think I've, in fact, I know that I've said before that of all of the places that I've ever worked, any time that we've done uh, any sort of Uh, survey, some sort of questionnaire as to what questions do you have or what topics would you like to hear preached on that prayer is always at the top of the list. And I want to tell you that if I were filling out a questionnaire or a survey, I would put prayer at the top of the list too. I'm not really sure why, but it seems to be the thing that we have questions about maybe the most. But as we read Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, again, it comes to our attention that we're not the first and only ones to have the question. Because the Bible says that it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. I take that to mean that the disciples must have seen him praying. They must have heard him praying on this occasion. If not on this occasion, certainly on other occasions during the time that he was with them. And certainly when they saw and heard him praying, they saw and heard someone who prayed, shall we say, perfectly. And their desire must have been to learn how to pray in a similar fashion. And so in this context, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can divide the instruction that Jesus gives in the model prayer perhaps in this way. First of all, there is the praying about the name of God, that it might be hallowed or that might be held in reverence. Hallowed be your name or hallowed is your name literally means it is high or it is held to be high or held in great esteem. And so the prayer would be that the people of the world, more people in the world, would come to know and to respect the name of God. We could pray about the kingdom of God. 
We can't pray that the kingdom might come because it's already come, but what we can pray is, similar to the first, that more and more people will recognize the existence of the kingdom and the king of the kingdom and will uh, will learn what it takes to gain entrance into the kingdom. We pray about the will of God. Your will be done, Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven. We ought to pray every prayer, perhaps, by saying something about the will of God. We can pray for our physical needs. That's verse 3. Give us this day, our daily bread, or day by day, our daily bread. We can pray for our spiritual needs. Forgive us our sins, verse 4, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation. When you pray, Jesus said, here is a model. Here are some basic points or a basic framework by which you can model your prayer. Of course, this isn't the only instruction that God gives us about prayer and specifically about what to pray for. Let's talk this evening about a few more things that we could add to this list. Some of them were addressed by this list already. Some things that as we are coming before the throne of God in prayer and we're thinking about what to say in our prayer, here are some things that the Bible says we ought to pray for, and these are in no particular order of importance. Number one, we ought to pray for forgiveness. We ought to pray for forgiveness for our sins. Jesus mentioned that, of course, in this context, Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses. But we find an example of this, actually, in the book of Acts. Maybe you remember it with, the, uh, with Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. You may recall that Simon, with many others in Samaria, had obeyed the gospel and had become a Christian. But then in Acts chapter 8 and uh, verse number 9 and following, or excuse me, verse 14 and following, the Bible tells us that Simon, in verse 18, he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, and so he offered them money. Simon's desire was to purchase this miraculous ability with money. And, of course, the context will bring out that his motivation is that for a long time he had bewitched those folks of Samaria. He had deceived them into thinking that he had some special power. When Peter and John came to town and they actually did have power, miraculous ability given by God, the people immediately began to see the difference between what was real and what was not. And so Simon has a desire to buy this ability. And what does Peter tell him in Acts 8 and verse 22? Peter says this, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. We pray for our forgiveness. By the way, the word for forgiveness in the New Testament means to release or to send away. And so when we're praying to God for forgiveness, we're praying that our sins, that our trespasses, that our iniquities, that they will be released or that they will be sent away. But notice this, we can also pray for others as it has to do with forgiveness of sin. Do you remember James chapter 5 verses 15 and 16? What did James have to say about praying, going to God on the behalf of another brother or sister in Christ whenever they're dealing with sin? James 5.15 says that the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another 
that you may be healed. The effectual or the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We see this illustrated in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. We don't have the time this evening to do this, but I would encourage you in your Bible reading and study this week to work your way through Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll be doing this on the Word of Life podcast this week as well. Work your way through Nehemiah chapter 1 and notice the first thing that Nehemiah does as he finds that he learns about the sad situation of Jerusalem and about the walls and about his people and immediately he pleads to God on behalf of himself and on behalf of the people and on behalf of their sin that led them to where they were in captivity and to Jerusalem and the walls being destroyed. It's an interesting study. We ought to pray for forgiveness for our sins, number one. Here's a second. When we go to our Father in prayer, when we pray, we ought to pray for our enemies. This may be one of the more difficult pieces of instruction that the Bible gives us as it pertains to our prayer because after all we're all humans and the natural instinct the natural human thought whenever someone wrongs us is to try and settle the score and right the wrongs that's naturally what we want to do but the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to do something different Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 44, verse 43 and 44, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and listen to this, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Notice that Jesus is not describing someone who accidentally does something to harm us or someone in our family. Jesus is not talking about someone who does something without any ill intent, but rather Jesus is talking about praying for those who purposefully and with malicious intent seek to harm us or our brothers and sisters in Christ or our family, perhaps our wife or our husband or even our children. But Jesus not only preached, you remember that Jesus practiced what he preached because it was while Jesus was hanging on the cross, you recall, in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It's difficult indeed for us to think about this, but it's necessary. Our desire for our enemies should be their best interest. We talked last Sunday evening about uh, biblical love, about agape love, selfless, sacrificial love, and how we can make an impact in this world, perhaps to a larger degree than, than uh, some other things, by simply displaying on a daily basis real biblical love for those in the church and for those outside the church as well. Part of this certainly is desiring the best interest of those who are our enemies desiring their repentance, desiring their salvation. And this enemy may be a person. It might be a government. It might be some sort of institution. It matters not. We ought to desire the best interest for our enemies and we ought to pray for them that they would change their mind and their heart and change their life and be the kind of people that God would have them to be. 
Number three, when we approach God in prayer, when we pray to God, we ought to pray for our daily bread. We ought to pray for our physical needs is another way of saying it. And I direct your attention to Matthew chapter 6 for this point. Matthew chapter 6, it's a great context. It's one that I find to be very helpful and very comforting whenever I take the time to really think about it and study it. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following, that Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and uh, rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus then went on to talk about the lamp of the body being the eye. And he said, if your eye is good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is, is uh, evil, then your whole body will be full of darkness. In verses 19 to 21, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, if you will, as to what matters the most for me in my life. Jesus is emphasizing the need not to make the things of this earth our treasure, not to value the things physically, materially in this world, but to value those things which are spiritual, to lay up our treasure in heaven. And then in verse 22 and 23, he said, that's going to depend on the health of your eye. If your eyes are focused in a positive, in the right direction, then he says your whole body will be full of light. You'll be able to set your treasure in heaven, verse 19 to 21, if you've got your eyes looking in the right direction, verse 22 and 23. But it's almost as if you can hear the uh, men and women in the audience listening to what Jesus is saying and thinking to themselves, wait a minute, Lord, I hear what you're saying. You're saying, listen, that I am to lay up for myself treasure on a uh, treasure in heaven and not worry so much about the things of the earth. But look, here's my wife or here's my husband and here are all of my children and they're, they're my parent. We have, we have to feed our family. We have these obligations. We have needs that, that, we, that we have to have in order to live. It's almost as if you can hear them thinking that or saying that. And so in verse 25, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, don't worry about it. You see, God has promised to provide for us the things that we need. Don't worry about it. Matthew 6, verse 25 and following, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient to the day or for the day is its own trouble. God promises to provide our needs, but just two sections later in Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 9 through 11, listen to what he says. He says, ask and it will be given unto you, verse 7. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, he gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. 
You see, here's how these two contexts go together. We are told in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and following, not to worry about the things that we need, about our, our daily needs, the necessities of life, because we're told that God will provide for us. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and following, we have this illustration of the fact that, listen, we are human beings, and yet we understand that when our children come and ask us for something that they need, that because we love them and we always desire the best for them, we are going to try and give them those things that are good for them. The lesson then, of course, is how much more our Father in heaven who sees and who knows all and who loves us more than we can imagine. If we come to him and we ask him for the things that we need, how much more will he provide for us those things that are good for us? Interestingly enough, all of this follows on the heels of Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We ought to pray for our physical necessities. And when we pray, we ought to trust that God will provide those things for us. And we ought to also be content with the things that he provides. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 8. Pray for our daily needs. Number 4. We ought to pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9, and let's read together Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and following. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and following. We're praying for laborers. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 35, that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray, Jesus says, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. He's praying for laborers. Notice that Jesus recognizes the need, verses 35 through 37, and so therefore he then prays that the need will be met. As we seek to pray for laborers in the kingdom, as we seek to pray for our evangelistic efforts in the kingdom, we could and should pray, first of all, that the laborers will recognize the need. Pray that the laborers will recognize the need. Do you remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8? The Lord asked, who shall I send? And what was Isaiah's answer? Here am I, send me. The interesting thing about the language in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38 is that when Jesus says, pray therefore the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, the language suggests that Jesus is talking about those who are already in the field. And so the idea is this, pray that those who are already in the field will have a fire lit underneath them and will get going and get about their business. It's motivation. It's kicking people into gear, if you will. 
And so we ought to pray that laborers will recognize the need. We ought all of us to pray on a regular basis that we all as a congregation and that the church as a whole in this state and country and in the world will recognize the need to work harder and harder in God's kingdom every single day. We ought also to pray that more laborers will be provided, that folks will obey the gospel and that they will see the need to work in the kingdom of God and to teach and preach the message of of the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world. Let's pray that laborers will be provided. Let's pray that laborers will work and that their work will be fruitful. Let's pray that opportunities will be provided. Let's pray every day that the Lord will grant us as a congregation more opportunities to interact with visitors that come into our assembly. Let's pray that the Lord will give us more opportunities to be able to have conversations with our friends and with our neighbors and people that we meet in public about the gospel. That, the God, will, that God will give us opportunities to serve and to meet needs that are there. Notice, by the way, that this all is in a context of needs being met. Jesus, in this context, verse 35 through 37, sees that they have physical needs and that they have spiritual needs. The church has a responsibility to a degree to help serve people in a physical way as much as, ladies and gentlemen, as we have an an obligation to serve them in a spiritual way. I was glad to hear this morning about Brother Dan's Bible study, and I hope that we'll all be praying fervently that that Bible study will be fruitful and effective, and I hope that we'll all be praying fervently that we'll have more Bible studies going on in our congregation just like that one. We ought to be praying for laborers. And then notice this, we ought to pray for works that are already going on. You remember in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul outlined his plans to the brethren in Rome about how he had a plan, a desire to, he was, he was on his way to Jerusalem to deliver the contribution. And then he was going to go visit them. And then after he went to Rome, he was going to go to Spain and he was going to preach the gospel there. And he asked the brethren in Rome to pray for him and pray for those efforts. We see the same thing in Ephesians 6 verses 18 to 20. Paul regularly was asking people to pray for the work that he was already engaged in and the work that he planned to be engaged in in the future. We ought to be praying for laborers and praying for a fruitful harvest. Number, uh, what are we on? Number five, we ought to pray for our rulers. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, as the Apostle Paul gives instructions pertaining to prayer and pertaining to worship in this chapter, here's what he says. Therefore, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is, a, uh, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice that the Apostle Paul commands prayer for those who rule in public ways, verses 1 and 2. And then he tells us why, at the end of verse number 2, the reason is so that we, that's Christians, might live a peaceful and uh, life in all godliness and reverence. The idea is that we pray for our rulers, that they will rule in such a way that they will uh, respect the job description given to them by God in passages like Romans chapter 13, 
and that in ruling, that they will rule in such a way that the kingdom of God, that Christians, that we might be able to go about doing the work of God in as uh, peaceful a way as possible. We ought to pray for our rulers. We ought to pray that they will be encouraged and supported in the things that they do that are good. But I would suggest to you it would be appropriate also to pray that they would be defeated in the things that they seek to do that are wrong. There are good things that our leaders do. There are wrong things that our leaders do. And God wants us to pray for them, yes, and to be respectful and supportive, but God never expects us to support those things and those decisions that are wrong and that are ungodly. So we need to keep those things in mind. We ought to pray for mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. The Bible tells us that we have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every way tempted like as we are. And the Bible tells us then because of that fact that we have the ability to go boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Pray for mercy. And then finally, we ought to pray for deliverance from temptation. Deliverance from temptation. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 13. In the model prayer, you remember that Jesus prayed, lead us, what? Not into temptation. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation that has overtaken you, Paul says, except such as common to man. And he goes on to say that with every temptation that God will provide a way, an opportunity, an avenue of escape. We ought to pray that God will deliver us from temptation. Pray that God will strengthen us as we deal with temptation. Pray that God will provide for us the way of deliverance or escape. Pray that God will help us to recognize it whenever he provides it. Maybe that's a prayer that we really ought to pray, an all-encompassing prayer. We pray that God will help us, and we pray that God will do uh, fill in the blank, but perhaps we ought to pray that we'll be able to see and recognize the answer to the prayer when it's staring us straight in the face. There are a number of things that we can pray for, that we should pray for, forgiveness and for our enemies and for our daily needs and for laborers and evangelism, for our rulers, for mercy, for deliverance from temptation. This is just a drop in the bucket. If you'd like to look at passages this week that are all about prayer, I would encourage you to go through your Bible, maybe get a concordance and look at some of the prayers in the Bible and look at all of the things that are included in those prayers. You can start with Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah chapter 1, as we mentioned earlier. You can look at the Apostle Paul's prayer. He has one in Ephesians chapter 1, also in Ephesians chapter 3. He has one in Philippians chapter 1 as well. You can look at the prayer of Jesus in the garden in John chapter 17. You can look at Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. There are a number of prayers in Scripture, and if you study each one of them closely and make a list, keep a piece of paper and a pen with you and write down every subject, every topic that's included in those prayers. By the time you get done, you'll have at least a page or two full of things and ideas and concepts and principles that come from all of those prayers. I think you'll find that to be a rewarding study. The lesson is yours this evening, and hopefully it's been helpful. Now we're going to offer the Lord's invitation, and it may be that there's someone here that would like for us to pray to God on their behalf. First of all, it might be that there's someone here who's not a Christian. You have a desire to obey the gospel and to become a Christian, to be obedient to the Lord's commands. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, we stand ready and willing to help you to do it. But tonight, maybe you're a Christian, and for whatever reason, there's some struggle going on in your life, some question you have. Maybe it's an issue with sin, or maybe it's discouragement, or some other type of thing. And perhaps you would like for us to pray for you. I want you to know that the ability to go to our Heavenly Father on behalf of a fellow brother or sister in Christ is a privilege. And it's something that we should never take lightly, but rather something that we should thank God for, an ability, an opportunity that we should thank God for. So if we can pray for you and help you tonight in some way, I want you to know that it would be, it would be our privilege and our honor to do it. The Lord's invitation is extended. Please come and let your need be known as we stand and sing together.